love Christmas. Raise your hand if Christmas is your favorite time of year. Here's what's cool about Christmas, I think. Christmas seems to be magical for a lot of people, even if they're not Christians. People get excited about Christmas, even if they're not Christians. I find that kind of bizarre. How many of you, I'm not going to say Christian or not, but how many of you, at least, if, if it's not the most thrilling time of the year, you at least try. Raise your hand if you at least try at Christmas time to make it exciting. Okay, so that's like half of you. So the rest of you are just like, I don't, I don't try, I give up, it's, I hate it. Is that it? I got my work cut out a little bit then for you guys. I think, for me, it's magical, and I think it's because uh, perhaps more than any other time of the year, maybe there's a couple, but I think maybe Christmas is the only time, actually, of the year when all bets are off and a lot of things happen that don't happen any other time of the year. I'm going to mention a couple, and they're probably going to get me in trouble like they did in the first service because this is the Sayoth. And some of the things I'm going to talk about are you know, southern things. What other time of year can you sit down for dinner, not just Christmas dinner, but dinner, and people just go, you know what, I think tonight I, I got a hankering for candy yams. Is there any time of the year when that happens? I don't even know what they are. I seriously do not know what they are. Are they a vegetable? Are they a fruit? Are they actually candy? What are they? So every single year when those sliced things come my way, I say no. I try to be polite. Pat, so if you have Christmas over at the Singleton's house, please don't bring those. Because I don't know what they are. I'm not going to eat something if I don't know what it is. The second thing that I don't know what it is, but this year, let me see if you guys can figure it out. It's usually in about a rectangle container. It sometimes has the word casserole connected with it. What throws me off every year with it is that it's kind of a vegetable-y looking thing, but it has a white fluffy topping, and that just scares me. That shouldn't go together. And for all this time, and I've moved 22 times before. Don't try to guess it. I've moved 22 times before I was even 19 years old. I did not see this thing until I entered the South. People think I'm crazy because I didn't, I, you know, I passed this on. Oh, you can't pass that on. Everybody loves that. And I'm like, but I don't know what's on top of it. I've heard a lot of talk about grits. What if it's that? What if that's on top? I don't eat grits. How many of you eat grits? Okay, the next question is why? Isn't it? Never. I'm not going to go that way. So this year I, I did the smart thing. I asked my mother-in-law, what, what is that, that thing? And she said, I'm going to quote her. I don't want to get it wrong. I may not quote her in next service, though. Here it is. That, my son, is sweet potato casserole, very popular in the South. As though, I mean, how many of you have that? Don't act like you've never seen it. How many of you are going to have that probably tonight or tomorrow? Okay, most of you. A lot more of you than said you were going to put any kind of effort into having fun. Or being excited for Christmas. Very popular in the South, she said, as though that settled the matter. And with me, that doesn't settle anything because there's a new show on MTV called Buck Wild that is popular in the South. So what does that say about the South? And here's another thing. That's pop Two more things I found out are popular in the South. Taking a load to the dump and bringing back more than you took <laughs> is popular in the South. And so is spending more money on your new dear bow than you do on your wife's car. That's more popular in the South than it is anywhere else. And I have moved 22 times before I was 19 years old. So there's some things I'm getting used to in the South. And it dawns on me that I'm now preaching in the South, so I should probably shut up and move on on Southern things. But you know what's um, great about my mother-in-law? She actually didn't get mad or anything. She just kind of laughed and sweetly said how much she loves me despite it all. I'm not sure that was a compliment or what that really was. 
It's Christmas time, though, so it's magical. At what other time of year? Now, watch this, because this isn't a southern thing. This is an everywhere in America thing. Maybe this is an everywhere on the planet thing. When I was young, I thought this was pretty cool. I actually don't have any, and I was kind of hoping to use it. But um, at what other time of the year can anyone, I don't care how obnoxious you are, I don't care how ugly you are, I don't care if you're a stalker, but what kind of, I do care if you're a stalker, don't stalk me, but at what other time of the year can you take a, a few evergreen-looking leaves, they don't even have to be the real thing, they just got to look like that a little bit, ball it up in a, in a, in a just a mumbled ball of junk, tape a couple plastic red or white berry-looking things to it, it doesn't have to be perfect because no one really looks at it closely, call it mistletoe, and then all bets are off, you get a smooch. What else can you do to get that? The real mystery is all you got to do if you want a Christmas kiss is point up and go, what? Look, mistletoe. How many of you know the number one or two or top three video right now on YouTube? I am going to walk out here because I got to make sure you guys are here. It's darker than usual. We've been meeting this t- place in the daytime, and it's like, like the sun is actually in this place. So I like it this way. But how many of you, actually, you guys scare me a little bit, so I'm going to go back. How many of you ever watch Duck Dynasty? That pretty much settles it about you people, doesn't it? Even somebody like Cy can hold up mistletoe. I don't care if it's somebody that he's asked out 4,000 times and they said no. It could be somebody that has a restraining order against him. All he has to do is go, look, Emily, I'm sorry I had to come to this, but... There's, and she's obliged. Nobody wants to be the witch that turned down poor Uncle Cy and left the Christmas party and didn't kiss. And there was a YouTube video that I looked at the other day, and they were in a mall, this guy and this girl. It's not like it was a, a handsome guy or a great-looking girl or anything. They just tested all these Christmas. Anybody seen this thing? All these Christmas. What do you guys do? Uh, all right, one person. Russ has seen it. All these uh, different uh, traditions for Christmas. But one of them was, what would you do if you saw mistletoe? And most people said, I guess you kiss. And they had it rigged, so it would drop down as soon as they said it. And like 90% of the people kissed these strangers when mistletoe came down. So some of you young single guys are going, I'll have to look into that. I mean, that's, that's a tradition that I, I hadn't really played up on that much, but I'm going to play up on it. Why? Because Christmas is magical. Christmas is just a magical time of year. I'm going to tell you a little bit, a few things about when I was little. I won't tell you a lot because I don't want you to start snoring. When I was little, I would say as little as six or seven years old, I used to want to be a magician. Well, it's impressive, isn't it? From about five, six, seven, eight, or nine, I got all kinds of sophisticated magic sets with magic wands and hats that, you know, you're supposed to be able to pull rabbits out and stuff like that. Magic absolutely fascinated me as a little kid. The only thing that ever spoiled it for me was when a smart aleck in my wildly popular magic shows that I would put on for, like, anywhere from three to five people, because that was my family growing up, was when one smart aleck would go, I know how you did that. Doesn't that just ruin magic? I know how you did that. That's not magic. That's a trick. In my family, it was one person that did it. It was my father. He was just trying to be realistic. So he would snuff out my dreams and just kill it. I was a little kid that actually thought, okay, i got to learn these magic tricks. But at some point, even though I learned it, at some point, real magic enters the picture, and it becomes sort of an enchanted thing. And that's what I think a lot of people believe about Christmas, that if we work hard enough at it, Except for you guys, because, you know, we came up with 20%, so I'm a little bit worried about this crowd. But I think most people think if this year, maybe it won't be like last year, Christmas. 
maybe it won't be like the year before and the year before that because I, I went into it thinking it was going to be great. And relatives came over and old weird Uncle Al came over and he ruined the whole thing and he got drunk and he put a lampshade on his head and the whole thing was, but this year's going to be different. I'm going into it. It feels magical. And well, let me just ask you a question. And I want you to be honest. I want you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever come out of Christmas disappointed? Ever, ever come out of Christmas? Raise your hand high. Like it wasn't exactly what you thought. That's amazing. They just keep coming out. Some of you are thinking about it. But I'll bet you if you're really honest. Okay, how many of you came out of every single Christmas and it just blows you away? It's the most incredible thing. All your expectations were ten times better than the year before. Anybody there? One. Okay. And I suspect this one may be pulling my leg. Honestly, we work at it and we think that if we work harder and harder at it, this year the magic will come. This year will be a little different. I didn't work with my magic tricks, so next I went into something else. My next attempt at capturing magic was when I saw, at the age of nine, a man on TV with a tiny version of himself sitting on his lap, and he was making him talk without moving his mouth. For a nine-year-old, I thought, okay, that's magic. There's no way that that doll thing can talk. It's not him doing it because his lips aren't moving, so it was a ventriloquist. So for one year, I begged my parents to buy me a little dummy. And they did for Christmas. They bought me one. And I worked and worked and worked at it. I know it's magic, but I had this little record that went with it. Remember records? Round things you put on it. There's a needle. Never mind. So I I studied that thing to learn how to do that. And because I love you guys, I'm going to give you a little lesson on this to see just how you can do on this. Uh, I'm going to give you an easy one. I had a tough one because (laughs) I wanted to embarrass you. But here's, here's a good one. Let's see. I want you to say, everybody put your lips together, first of all. Man, I can't see you. You're probably going to cheat. Put your lips together. Do not move them and say, hello, little girls and boys. Merry Christmas. (laughs) That was more pathetic than I ever could have imagined. This is what I heard. I was planning on better than that, honestly. I thought, so I'm going to give you twice. I'm going to let you do it again. You can part them a little bit and move them just a tiny bit. Cheat just a little. Not promise me you won't cheat more than 10%. Because all I heard that time was, okay, you got to do better than that. So one more time, I want you to say, hello, girls and boys, Merry Christmas. Here's what I heard. Hello, little girls and oys. Eric Christian. So because I don't want you to go out there, buy a little dumb and embarrass yourself, I'm going to teach you a little something. You thought it was easy, didn't you, being a ventriloquist? It's not. Here's the trick. Since the best ventriloquists in the world don't move their lips, that's the whole thing. They can't do that. Certain letters present a problem. Can you imagine what they are? Well, any letter where you have to put your lips together presents a problem. I'm going to give you two, like B and M. That's why I threw them in there to make you look foolish. And you couldn't do it. Just try right now. Now go back to the normal thing of putting your lips together, almost together, about this, this far together, and try to say the letter M. No, I mean really try. No, I'm serious. We got somebody here going M. Okay, you're disqualified. And what else? Now try to do the put your lips together. Try to do the letter B. Not E. B. Okay, there's nothing happening. What's wrong with you people? 
Here's how you do it. And this is going to be going to be worth the price of admission of the free tickets that you used to get in here. Here it is. Here's how you have to say a B. You have to use a softened D. Try it again. Yeah, somehow no better. But here's how you do an M. You have to use a softened N as in Nancy. So try that. Oh, Lord, help them. All right, so I'm going to give it my best attempt. Here it is. Hello, little girls and boys. Merry Christmas. Not bad, huh? Huh? Pretty good. <laughs> That's as far as my talents go, right there. That was kind of fun. But guess what? It's just a trick. I thought it was real. I thought it was magic growing up, but no real magic, except Achman, the dead terrorist. I think he's real. But all the rest is just magic. So again, magic is threatening to be exposed as I'm growing up in my little big faith heart, my little body, but big faith heart. And if it wasn't for something else I discovered as a small child, it probably would have been exposed, and I don't even know if I'd be here. That's kind of the journey that Jesus took me on to become a believer. Books. Books. I mean, as I learned to talk, it was just a couple years later that I learned to read. I loved and still love to read books. I still love to read fantasy books. They were my favorite. I still remember the very first fantasy book I ever read. I made my son read it. And he's a voracious reader today, probably because of this book. It was called Voyage to Mushroom Planet. It's a classic. Have you read it? You read Voyage to Mushroom Planet? Okay, mom's corrected him. I'm going, I don't know. I might have stolen it. I heard Voyage to Mushroom Planet is deep, Oscar award-winning type stuff. It hasn't been made into a movie yet. But it's just about these kids that were about my age. They're little kids, and they, they see this advertisement that you can go to, to Mushroom Planet, and the people at Mushroom Planet need your help, and they will help you get there. And so they took their hammer and nails and their stuff from the fort and I think a lawnmower engine, and they built a rocket, and it worked. And they got them to Mushroom Planet, and they saved them, and there's the book. And I thought, wow, I even tried to build something like that. Embarrassing. I can't build anything, nothing. I can't build a shoebox. But I tried to do that when I was little because... Magic. I thought it was magic. Then that kind of got exposed. So I moved on from that book to different books when I found out that that was not. Around seven, I started learning about the, the many holes in science fiction books, the many holes in the voyage to Mushroom Planet. So I advanced to read more and more innovative fantasies in science fiction. I'll soon learn that they all had pretty much the same recipe. Here it is. I hope I don't ruin this for those of you that love fantasy novels. That would be cruel. But here it is. There's an unlikely hero, Right? He or she is reluctant to play their role. However, prophecies about them convince them that they simply must. They struggle with magic and have to learn to master it before it masters them. Sound familiar? In the end, they save the day. That's kind of the way they all went. So I read literally hundreds of them and started seeing this recipe, and then even in books, the magic started dying. I'm going, isn't any magic real, or is it always this kind of deal? Not all ended this way. There were two fantasy series that I've read over and over and over again because they just seemed to still contain that unexplainable magic. No matter how many times I read them, they had that same recipe in them, but there, were, but there was something else about these two series that I read and reread that I couldn't figure out because when I was done, it's like I came to life. It, it, was like, it was like the magic that you read from the Bible. It's like the magic you experience when you come to know the Lord. And how could these fantasy series have that? I'm talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. Raise your hand if you've read those. 
So that's what you people do. All right. The other one is Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Raise your hand if you read that. Okay, a lot less because those are longer, right? You don't want to take so much time reading that. These are the two best-selling fantasy series of all time. Why do you suppose that is? Time's up. Because C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, was an intelligent Ivy League Oxford Road scholar and teacher. No. He's also an atheist who radically got saved. And then he wrote into these fantasies. He wrote stuff before this that nobody really wanted to read. And then he wrote into the Chronicles of Nar Narnia biblical principles and prophetic things. So there really was real magic and is real magic in the Chronicles of Narnia. And in <clears throat> with J.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit as well, The Lord of the Rings, same thing. In fact, they went to school together at Oxford. They were friends. And they used to sit, often go to the local pub and discuss the basis for their works over a glass of ale. I mean, iced tea. Well, it probably wasn't ale. And discuss all this stuff about how their works were really trying to point people to Jesus. So that's why, even as a kid, I could read it and, and, and not want to put those down and not get disappointed because there's real magic in it because, really, there's only one book that's actually like a fantasy book except that every miracle and every prophecy in it is true and has been fulfilled. And yet, here we are at Christmas time, the time to celebrate one of the greatest events in history, and a lot of people come to this because they're dragged to it, bribed to it, or getting their favorite sweet potato pie made, waiting at home or whatever it is. Okay, so I'll sit through that. When do we get to go home and watch the real Christmas specials about Rudolph, talk about Santa and all that, and Jesus gets second, third, or fourth billing? Man, we got to think about this because something's a little off in that. And these two brilliant and wise men, they used to love more than anything else, celebrating and praising the God who did, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, who did not disappoint as they sought him out with all their hearts. See, they sought God. They wanted to know the real magic. And God says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. It says that in Jeremiah. To me, that is so encouraging for you guys. To know that wise men, and we'll just say men being generic, wise men, wise women still seek him. Because these guys, they may be dead now, but they lived in the past hundred years. It's not that long ago. And I think wise men and wise women and wise children and students still, I'm hoping, they still seek them today. In fact, I can't understand why everyone doesn't. I really can't understand why everyone doesn't seek him. <clears throat> Imagine, if you will, I want you to guys just, if you're writing notes or doing anything else, just look up here and, and use your imagination. If it helps, close your eyes. Imagine, if you will, a family adventure or just an adventure period and a drama of such importance and so great that it is not only passed down through generation after generation, but it's also memorized, practiced, trained for. It's literally the reason for living in each and every generation and each and every generation dreams of being around when the actual events they've learned about all their lives unfold. It's like their purpose for living. I imagine that scenario. I know it's crazy, but try to imagine it. No matter how dramatic or imaginative it is, you know what it's going to come down to? We just learned. There's going to be a recipe in that kind of thing. 
It's going to be something like this. This event would have to be something that vanquishes evil, ushers in paradise, brings about perfect justice, love for the hurting, rescuing of the lost, saving the hopeless, taking care of the poor and destitute. Even better, why don't we just eliminate poverty altogether? Wouldn't that be cool? And sickness, that'd be good. In fact, let's just throw caution to the wind and say, when this event happens, no more death, period. No more death. Could there be an event better than that? Some of you going, oh, no, the Super Bowl is coming up. No, there's no event bigger than what I'm talking about. There's some other ingredients that should be present as well. There needs to be prophecy so that the masses can see that what they're witnessing can't possibly be random. It can't possibly be an accident. All the great authors of all the great books and fantasies, like I already told you, include this. It's always there. <clears throat> In fact, let me give you a couple. C.S. Lewis had the prediction of the coming of the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. Raise your hand again if you read those. Remember that? You may not have caught that, but the whole thing about that's Edmund, Lucy, Peter, and Susan. They're the daughters of Eve and the sons of Adam. It's from biblical standpoint. Tolkien even opens his first book, The Hobbit, with a prophetic poem of sorts and uses that hideous and pathetic ugly golem creature that up until about a week ago scared my daughter to death. She's 13 now, and she's able to look at him, but... Here's one of the little poems, but it's actually a prophecy kind of about the ring, not this ring. This is not a dangerous ring, but the ring. It cannot be seen, cannot be felt, cannot be heard, cannot be smelt. It lies behind the stars and under the hills and empty holes it fills. It comes first and follows after, ends life, kills laughter. Prophecies are woven all through those books. Some of them came true in The Lord of the Rings. It was kind of cool, and you had to figure out the ones that were going to come true because a lot of them didn't come true. Same thing with Chronicles of Narnia. Not so with this book. <clears throat> Not so. Guess what the penalty was if a prophet made a pro prophet. If a prophet made a prophecy and it didn't come true. Just a mild little penalty. Slap on the wrist. Death. If your prophecy, if you're a prophet from God, every prophecy you make is gonna come true. If it doesn't, you're put to death. Kind of strict. But there you have it. So it's not some prophecies. Guess how many prophecies there are in the Old Testament about Jesus? And while you're thinking about this, I'm just going to take a little sip. over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Each and every one came true. Each and every one. And they had to come true. Prophecies in these books are fun and expected part of any good book that has magical things in it. But they all have one thing in common that takes away the magic. They're written in reverse in the books. Get it? So, you don't get it? You don't follow that? They're written in reverse? They write the events of the fun book, and then they go back and write the prophecies to match them. Now, sometimes people will ding the Bible and say that's all the Bible is. These things happen, and then they wrote them back in there, and then they discover the Dead Sea Scrolls and find out how old those are, and they go, oops. It's impossible because that was written before some of the events it predicted in the New Testament. So it has to be true. I love that. I love that. I saw a little girl go, wow. That's the kind of wonder you're going to need. That's the kind of wonder you're going to need to find the magic of Christmas. 
And you only have about 15 minutes left to find it. So it's kind of fun. But they're written in reverse, so it's a trick. It's not magic. Only in the Bible is it different. It contains prophecies about Jesus written hundreds, sometimes thousands of years earlier that are miraculous because they're fulfilled to a T. Now, I'm going to give you some, and I'm going to give them to you fast. There's over 300. I'm only going to give you 299. No, I'm going to give you like 40 of them. Here they come, fast. Messiah would be born of a virgin. Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Messiah would... uh, Messiah would come from the line of Abraham. Messiah would be a descendant of Isaac. Messiah would be a descendant of Jacob. I should give you these scriptures too. That's found in Numbers, but I have to go faster than that. Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. Messiah would be to King David's, on King David's throne, 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 9. Messiah's throne will be anointed and eternal, Psalm 45, 6. Now I'm not going to give you the, the uh, verses anymore. I've got to go faster. Messiah would be called Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Three of you knew that. Messiah would spend a season in Egypt. A massacre of children would happen at the Messiah's birthplace in Bethlehem. That's what Herod did when he slaughtered everyone two and under. A messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah. That's John the Baptist. Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Messiah would be a prophet. Messiah would be preceded by Elijah. Messiah would be declared the Son of God. Messiah would be called a Nazarene. Messiah would bring light to Galilee. Messiah would speak in parables and stories mostly. Messiah would be sent to heal the brokenhearted. Messiah would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Messiah would be called a king. Messiah would be praised by little children mostly. Messiah would be betrayed. Messiah's price money would be used to buy potter's field. That's exactly what happened. Messiah would be falsely accused. Messiah would be silent before his accusers. That's found in Isaiah 53. Messiah would be spat upon and struck. Isaiah 50. Messiah would be hated without cause. Messiah would be crucified with criminals on either side. That seems kind of detailed, doesn't it? Kind of magical. Messiah would be given vinegar to drink when on the cross. I better give you that one. Psalm 69, 21. Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. Isn't this getting to you? Why would anybody ignore this stuff? Messiah would be mocked or ridiculed. Soldiers would gamble for his clothes. That happened. Messiah's bones would not be broken. Not a single bone was broken when he was crucified. Messiah would be forsaken by his father, by God. Messiah would pray for his enemies. Soldiers would pierce Messiah's side. Messiah would be buried with the rich. He was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, a wealthy man. Messiah would resurrect from the dead. Messiah would ascend to heaven. Messiah would be seated at God's right hand. Messiah would be a sacrifice for all sin. That's just 44 of the 300 prophecies. How come people ignore this? So it's pretty easy to see how someone who even had a little knowledge, say a sixth or so of the knowledge of just a few prophecies would get fired up about not only living in the day of their fulfillment, but somehow getting a chance to see it with their very own eyes. Enter the wise men. That's why I had you turn to Matthew 2. Are you there yet? Because you've had kind of a long time to get there. I'm going to read it for you. In fact, I'd like you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll read it straight through, and then I'm going to make some comments on it. This is so important. You can follow along, or you can just listen. It'll be in the ESV. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, some of your Bibles might say magi, from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ who was to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. They're talking about the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. So they knew every detail. Then Herod, some of the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you've found him, bring me word so that I too might worship him myself. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until he came to rest over, until came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, these aren't Jews. These are Gentiles from the east. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. You can be seated. Question. How did these magi, these wise men, even know all of this? I mean, from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. How did they know all this? Well, most scholars, and I agree with them, think that hundreds and hundreds of years before that, when the Jews were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon, there was a man by the name of Daniel who wrote a lot of prophecies and used to talk about what was to come. And you know what? These wise men and the magi and the astrologers kept Daniel's works and kept studying them and pouring over them and training the next generation of scholars and astrologers and wise men. Look out for this event. And then the next generation is born. Look out for this event. Then the next generation is born. And, and that's exactly what the Jews were supposed to do, his own people. But here's Gentiles doing it when the Jews already returned to their homeland and they have no reason to do it for hundreds of years. They're waiting for this event. People that know only a fraction of it. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, I think that's strange, because this is extraordinarily good news. So why would you be troubled? Why would it trouble Herod so much? And how could a few words from three old smart guys hundred miles away cause trouble to all of Jerusalem? Was it because they already had so much to be worried about? With the Roman census underway and so many people traveling around and so much busyness, they didn't want to be troubled by these three guys? No and no. First of all, the census was over. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are no longer in the stables. Jesus isn't sitting in the manger or the feeding trough at this point. Skip down to verse 11 and I'll prove it. Verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. The child with Mary, his mother. It's not a baby anymore. This is probably a year and a half later. So here's what I want you to do. Everybody go home tonight while there's still time to get this theologically straight. And take your three wise men and walk down three or four neighbors' houses down and put them on the curb there. I'm sure they won't mess with them because it's going to be like another year before they get there. Okay, so we want to be theologically right. Everybody's got wise men in their majors. That's cute and everything, but it's wrong. They didn't arrive until later. They're in a house now. 
but all of Jerusalem is troubled. Well, gang, here's why they're troubled. Three old guys bringing gifts aren't going to trouble people, but it never says anywhere in the Bible that there were three wise men. It just says there were three gifts. That's all it says. And then somebody writes a song, we three kings of Orient are. That's right, there was three of them. That's, that's just a hymn. You know how many there more likely were? Well, there's probably an entourage because it came from some of the most powerful empires other than Rome all the way in the east. There could have been one, two, or three nations gathering to do this. They had to bring servants. They had to bring food. They had to bring a caravan. They had to have soldiers. There could have been 300, 400, 500. Why else would the entire city of Jerusalem be petrified at this event? You're just not going to be scared of three guys hanging around, right? But when you realize that the other most powerful empire in the world is gathering here for an event about a king who's supposed to be the king of kings, and you realize you're under Roman authority, you're going, this is going to cause a world war. So you're not for it. But how could God's very own people not be for this? God's more powerful than just Rome. I know, I know it sounds big, but, but you know, God's more powerful than Ahmadinejad and if he gets a nuclear weapon. God's more powerful than North Korea if whatever wacko's running that this week fires off a nuclear weapon. And God's more powerful than all the conflicts in the world. And God's more powerful than your problems. And isn't it amazing that our little things can cause us to think that God is shrinking? It really isn't that powerful. So there weren't three. There were a lot. That's why it troubled the whole city. It's far more likely there were hundreds in this pilgrimage. So the people of Jerusalem forgot all about thousands of years of prophecies in favor of keeping peace with Rome, you know, keeping the status quo. And I know that's hard to relate for us today. Why would anyone pass up seeing and encountering the Son of God for something even as important as security and comfort? Seriously? How many of us pass up encounters with God each and every Sunday over much smaller things? Let me just pick on a few in fact, let me pick on a lot so you all hate me evenly. Well, I can't go to church every Sunday because that's my weekly golf day. Maybe Christmas and Easter. I can't. That's my only day to sleep in. I can't have an encounter with the living God because I'm supposed to watch three football games and I've got to get all the snacks ready for my buddies. I have to tailgate. I have to go hunting. I have to go shopping. The list goes on and on. But there's silly things in favor of meeting and encountering with the living God each and every week in His house. So we think they're nuts. We're not that much different. We know more about them than most people on earth here in America. We're the ones with the knowledge. We're very religious, really, compared to the rest of the world. We have a lot of religious knowledge in America. We know a lot about Jesus, but few of us really know Jesus on a personal level. Let's keep going. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes and people together, he inquired where the Christ would be born, and they said exact details. So they got the scribes, the Pharisees, all the religious leaders, and these wise men are going, we only have a little bit of knowledge, but you have a lot. We think we're almost there. Can you tell us? Oh, yeah. We can tell you where he's at. Let me borrow this chair and tell you what it was kind of like. Here's basically what they did. I'll probably destroy the entire set here. I hope not. I've been to Israel. My wife and I have been there. And this is what, I just didn't realize this, but when I saw it, it broke my heart. Here's how they told him. Yeah, they said, you want to know where he's going to be? Well, the prophecies point to you. You've got the time right. should be right about now, and it should be in Bethlehem. Okay, so how close are we? Where is that? Bethlehem? Are you serious? They're in Jerusalem. Remember that. So they couldn't, Jerusalem's on high ground. So they probably did this. 
See that, see that little town over there? Yeah, that's Bethlehem. You know how far away it is? You guys seem really small from here. But you know how far away it is? Five miles. Five miles. For people who have been waiting for the Son of God. This looks a lot higher now that I'm up here. <laughs> oh, I'm old. So people that have been waiting for the Son of God for thousands of years, for living for this event, passing it down for generations, training generation after preparing, getting their kids ready, memorizing the Torah, here it is, and they're going, it's right over there. Can you imagine the entourage, the wise men who had traveled probably for months, maybe a year, and prepared for this journey? They're probably going, well, you guys lead the way, and aren't, aren't you going to go? No. In fact, what did Herod say? You go, and you worshiping and all that, and when you do, let us know exactly what house he's in, and the Bible tells us why he did it, because he was going to kill him. This is heartbreaking. This is why we're here, to glorify God. This is the beginning of the 33-year, most incredible 33 years in the history of the world, and his people came to him, and they knew him not. Read John 1. He came to his own, and his own knew him not. Now, that's not indicting the Jews. That's all of us. We don't recognize God because we love our sin and we love our life better than we love God. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search for him, then come back. And fortunately, in a dream, God said, don't you dare go back to Herod because he's going to find out exactly where he is, and he's going to try and kill him. So they listened to God. And isn't it interesting that they had a dream from God Almighty and God's people didn't? Those who seek him with all their heart will find him. Did you know you can find him 2,000 years later? You can find him tonight if you're willing to seek him with all your heart. I, I know who's sitting out there. You know how I know? We've been praying for you. We've been praying for you for weeks. I know probably all of you didn't make it, but I know some of you did. And I know some wives have been praying. I know some, some daughters and sons have been praying. And you know how I know? I know because specifically we're praying over these things. This isn't a decoration game. Every one of these ornaments has either one name or whole family's names on it. In fact, a couple of the ornaments say things like dad. From kids who know their father doesn't know Jesus. That's heartbreaking, isn't it? It doesn't have to be doesn't have to end that way. Tonight, the only magical book there is, the only true magical book, it can all change for you, and you can be adopted into the family of the living God. What a tragedy to miss out on the greatest opportunity in history because you had grown cold to the things of God. I've heard all that before. Every Christmas I go, blah, 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 and you, nah, familiarity breeds contempt. To have all the prophecies like these people and all the knowledge and yet no motivation. The average household in America owns 14 Bibles. 14 Bibles. Blow the dust off them and read them. It's all in there. Believe it or not, it gets worse. There's something even more. As added undeniable proof, all we have to do is look at nearly every single story in the Old Testament, every single major event that little kids watch and the stories they learn about, and there's undeniable proof in them that points straight to the Messiah. All of biblical history is really His story. 
That's what it really is. It's a breadcrumb trail leading any and all who seek with their heart right to Jesus, right from Genesis. I'm going to take you through this quickly, and then we're going to be done. And I'm praying for you right now as I preach. I'm praying for you to listen and not to miss this obvious breadcrumb trail. God created the world to show His boundless love to us. Paul tells us in Romans that just as through one man sin entered into the world, Adam, one man would one day come, the God-man, and conquer sin and death. Noah and the flood tells us how God will always save the righteous and a remnant and judge the wicked, ultimately accomplishing in the Messiah's finished, accomplishing the Messiah's finished work on the cross. Abraham was told to offer his one and only son as a sacrifice, but in the end, instead, a ram was provided because his son wasn't qualified, and God wouldn't do that. The whole thing was to teach us that when it came time to God the Father, offer his own son, he would not hold back because he loved us. He would offer his son. Joseph was betrayed and abandoned by his brothers. Jesus was betrayed and abandoned by his 12 disciples. Moses brought the law from God, the Ten Commandments, to the people. Jesus came and fulfilled that law. Joshua was called by God to lead his people to the promised land. His name means Savior, or literally, the Lord saves. Jesus was sent to save the people from their sin and from death and lead them to heaven. His name, too, means Savior, or literally, the Lord saves. Only he is the Lord. Just as David slew the giant Goliath, Jesus chooses to use the small and insignificant people in the world to confront the giants and darkness of this world. Daniel was called blameless, and he was a type of Christ. Jesus actually was blameless and was the Christ. Daniel had mock trials from false accusers and was eventually thrown into a pit of lions, meant to be his grave. Jesus was paraded before the religious leaders in six false trials the night before he was crucified, and eventually put in the grave. Both were rescued. Daniel, when the lion's mouths were closed, Jesus, when he was raised from the dead. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights in the tomb. The prophet Isaiah said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Jesus was born of a virgin. The prophet Micah told that the Messiah would have to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus' birth was announced first not to kings and princes, but to lowly shepherds, specifically the ones in charge of the lambs that would be used for Passover sacrifice because Jesus said it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I came to save sinners. Over a year later, these same wise men that we've been talking about arrived to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, who would one day give his life, that all who placed their trust in him could be adopted as sons and daughters of the living king. And so you see, all of history is really his story. It acts as a sort of narrowing set of guardrails that gets smaller and smaller, leading us inescapably and undeniably to the Christ child, but not just the baby in the major. Ultimately, please hear this, ultimately to the cross where your freedom was purchased and only awaits your trust in Him to make it reality. Let us find our rest in 
Would you bow your heads? This precious book that most of us own and in spades in our house is the only true fantasy book. It holds the secrets to magic. It holds the secrets to life transformation. It holds the secrets to how you can be adopted as a son or daughter of the living God. And yet people put anything and everything, even at this time of year, above that. Now I know there's people sitting out here right now who have never made a commitment to Christ, even though it is as simple as looking to the cross and saying, Jesus, I believe you died for me, and I accept your gift. Thank you for taking my place on the cross, forgiving my sins. Please come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior, and you will be adopted that moment into his family, and it never changes. It's eternal. And so it amazes me that some will still act like his people did in Jerusalem and yawn and say, I don't want to walk the five miles. This isn't even walking five miles. I'll just kind of wait and see what happens. I don't think you want to stand before a living God and try to explain why you waited to see what would happen. Tonight you can change all that. If you only know about Jesus, and that's what every Christmas has been for you, tonight it changes. You can know Jesus and start a relationship with him. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to lead you in a prayer. And please know this, the words that I say, they're just my words. They're not magical or anything. It's kind of funny we're talking about that, but they become that for you. I just want to help you and guide you, and I want you silently to pray in your heart. You just have to mean it. Pray from the heart, not the head, and you are talking to the living God now. And if you want to come home to Jesus this Christmas and make it the first real one, the first magical one of your life, then silently in your heart pray after me. Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for letting go of your only son. Thank you for not holding back. Jesus, thank you for willingly coming to this earth and wrapping around you human flesh, becoming one of us, knowing that your mission was to die for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't turn back. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for all the things I've always put before you, though you are God. Tonight I ask you to forgive me, and I receive the gift you purchased on the cross for me, the free gift of salvation. I place my trust in you, and I ask you to come into my heart as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, really meaning it. Amen. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. One thing remains. I promise you, gang, that if you prayed that and you meant it, you are saved. You are now a son and daughter or daughter of the living king. But one thing proves it. Those who seek him, I said, with all their heart will find him. So if you just throw a prayer up there thinking it's magic, like me as a little kid with a magic wand and a hat, it doesn't do anything. If you just throw a prayer up there like a ventriloquist, moving your lips or not trying not to move your lips and throw your voice, it doesn't do anything. If you mean it from the heart, then the Holy Spirit moves. And I believe a lot of you meant that from the heart, maybe for the first time ever. But I think probably there's two groups here now. First, I want to deal with that group. 
Gang, if you love the Lord for everything He did for you, then you must acknowledge it. Real salvation is acknowledged. Real saved people identify themselves. They don't sit there and be anonymous. God does not want secret admirers. So I'm going to ask you to identify yourselves in a moment by raising your hands, lifting them high so we can see you, so I can see you. It's really between you and God. I'm going to count to three, and I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to sit there and be nervous because this is for him and for all that he did. Whether you're young or old, whether you're 90 or, or five years old, if it makes sense and you meant it, then you, you must identify yourselves. We want to celebrate our new brothers and sisters. Are you ready for that? Then let's go. One, two, three. Raise your hands high and keep them high. Keep them lifted high in the air. I want to see all of you that meant that, all of you that, that prayed that to the living God and meant what you said. Keep them high. Don't lift them a little bit. Lift them high. Now, listen, someone's going to come by with a gift for you. Don't make that nervous. I want you to keep your hand up. Don't make it a little quickie thing where you lift it. Just keep it high. Keep it high. I counted quite a few people, and I'm still counting people. And while there's still time, I know because it happens every single year, some of you are struggling. That battle makes no sense because there's nothing to be afraid of. These are your brothers and sisters here. But you feel that? You feel that battle inside? You feel that somebody saying, don't lift your hand, don't acknowledge, that's Satan. you got to beat him on this one. So while there's still time, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, in fact, if you're praying it now and mean it, lift your hand high. I saw some more hands go up in the back. Don't miss them, guys. Some more hands there in the back. There's really quite a few people for this size of a group, quite a few people. Keep them up, and we want to bring something to you. Until we get everybody, I want, I want those hands to stay up. There's still quite a few people. Let's move quick. Grab more Bibles and bags, and let's keep this thing going. I don't want to miss one person who came home to Jesus. Not one person needs to be missed. Now, if you already got a Bible, you can put your hands down. Anybody who has not received it yet, please keep your hand up so we can get that to you. There's a couple more right here. Now listen, in over 15 years of being a pastor and in ministry, I've never done this. But tonight I feel like the Holy Spirit is asking me to do this, and this is different. And I'm going to ask you as Christ followers to be more bold than that. Some of you have known the Lord for years. Some of you have known Him for a couple of years. Some of you have known Him for 20, 30 years. And yet you realize that I know I'm saved, but I felt like still somehow Pastor Rob was talking about me. Christmas has lost its magic. I've put a lot of things before God. I'm not centering my life around Him. If you want that to change, if you want to find the joy of Christmas and you want to center everything around Him and live your life the way it was purposed to be lived, then I want you to pray after me now, silently in your heart. Father, thank you for saving me. Lord, I haven't been living lately all out for you. I've lived for you, God, but not with everything I've got. You haven't been number one. I haven't centered my life around you. Dear God, I want that to change. The name of this church is Impact, but I want my life to make an impact. I don't just want it to be words, God. Change me. And, and when I pray this, Lord, help me to mean it. Help me to stand out boldly and be a Joshua and be a leader, Lord, and to use the gifts you've given me. I rededicate, I recommit my life to you, Jehovah, now, tonight, from the bottom of my heart. In your name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, if that was you, 
I'm going to count to three as well, and you're not going to get off that easy. You're already a Christ follower. But if you recommitted your life to Him this night, I want you to stand proudly to your feet. I'm not even going to count to three. Just get up right now. Stand to your feet if you mean it. If you recommitted your life and you're getting back on track for the Savior, don't wait. Boldly stand up. Everybody who's recommitting their life, keep standing. Isn't it funny? You can be a Christian for years and there's still that same battle. Some of you sitting there go, why, why, why do I feel embarrassed about standing up? What is, the, what is going on? Well, listen, the first thing that Satan doesn't want to do in your life or, or doesn't want to see happen in your life is for you to come to Jesus. The second thing is for you to use your life to help others come to Jesus. So if you haven't been using your life as a believer to reconcile others to Him, then you're off mission, and you need to recommit to that purpose. And praise God for those who are recommitting tonight. You guys, I want you all to open your eyes and... I want you to put your hands together. We have a lot of brothers and sisters that joined in the kingdom of God tonight. The rest of you could be seated. God is good every year for that. Every year I celebrate. There's nothing I love more than Christmas and Easter because the family of God grows. And there were many, many people that came home to Jesus. And there were quite a few people that recommitted their lives, which means I think God's got great, great things in store for Impact Church. Well, gang, I just found out that 45 people committed their lives to Christ in this service. That's something to celebrate. 16 people recommitted their lives. So that is a great, great way to end the year or the end the 12 weeks of Impact Church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for coming to this earth, Lord. Wrapping around you human flesh, God, there's none of that that you had to do. But for loving us enough to take upon yourself the punishment for the sins that we committed. Lord, in Romans we read that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And God, as we look at the foot of the cross and what happened, people were spitting at you, people were joking about you, gambling for your clothes, sticking spears in your side, nails in your hands and feet, and you still said, Father, forgive them. The things they're doing, they have no idea the consequences. They don't know what they're doing. How true that is, Lord. So we look throughout history, we live our lives as though we don't know what we're doing. Well, God, I thank you that 45 people learned tonight what they're doing and what life is about. God, I pray they won't end it with that, Father. I pray if they live in this area that they will become a part of this church and dive in and give it everything they have. Living for you is what matters. Centering their lives around you is what matters. Lord, if they're not from here, I pray that they will find a Bible-believing, evangelical church and start living out their purpose for you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. This service was for you, and I hope it was pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Merry Christmas.